Hello and welcome to Various Things. I'm Gary Lama. Today's interview is with Jeff Grant. Jeff got started playing in bands in the mid-90s as the drummer for the Richmond punk band Target for Aggression. He then went on to play with a continual assortment of bands, including taking up guitar and vocals to play with the band Pink Razors, the band Food, and now his most recent projects, The Sands and Full Sun. Along the way, he moved to Bloomington, Indiana, and started the record label Houseplant Records, with his wife, Erin Toby, an artist and musician herself. I met Jeff when we were in our early teens, and so it was great to catch up with him and what he has been working on. This interview is split into four parts. This is part one. Enjoy. How would you describe what it is that you do? Uh, are we talking free time here? Or, uh, Just, music? yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I spend a lot of time on music, and I kind of run the risk of spreading myself too thin in that regard a lot of times. Like, I think right now I'm involved in, like, six bands, and, like, none of them, none of them are, like, full-time commitments, so it's kind of just juggling those sorts of things. Like, that's, like, six months I think I've had, like, a, a band practice almost every night, you know? It feels weird if I'm not, if I'm home at night not having a practice now. Uh, and it's kind of just... I think it's always been the way I am. It's just playing, playing as much music as I can, and just these days, like the only way to, like, no one my age can really commit to a full-time thing. So I end up doing a lot of part-time bands. Just kind uh, of to pull it together, like to always have something going on, or yeah, I think that's kind of it. I mean, there's also the thing, like, I came into music as playing the through playing the drums and. That's kind of the only thing I do where I can, like if I'm writing songs, it's kind of always going to sound a certain way, but if I'm playing the drums, I can kind of play in different kinds of bands. So mm. I'm always trying to exercise that, uh, but at the same time, I like writing songs. So I spend a lot of time doing that as well, and it's kind of just juggling those those two things, playing the drums and then songwriting. What do you think's your favorite? I think playing the drums is my favorite because it's, at this point it's almost effortless it's just like it's just so familiar to me and being behind the drum set is so familiar to me like if I if I take a break from it for a month or so like it's kind of rare but in the past few years it's happened like I just won't be playing for a few months and then I sit back down behind it it's just like <laughs> no, it's weird like all the memories that come flooding back from that are are pretty intense and I kind of real, realize it's like the only space I have where I feel like I just totally belong and I'm in control and like I don't know it's just like a literal barrier between me and everything else but at the same time it's it's what's like connected me to everything in my life but there's a lot of emotions tied up in playing the drums I think so I think that's what I like to do I just can't do it all the time what what age were you when you started playing drums? Yeah, I mean, we knew each other when I started. It was probably like it was like between middle school and high school, so mm-hmm. thirteen or fourteen. I'm thirty three now. Wow, so a long time. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. I think I've been in bands. I don't think there's really ever been like a period where I wasn't in a band since that time. There's just been always been overlap. Wow. It's pretty wild. 
Yeah. So how did you get into drums? I mean, what was the... Uh... Uh, I don't really... I don't really know why. I think I just was fascinated by it and wanted to wanted to be involved in music, and that just seemed like something I understood. Like, mm-hmm. you can kind of watch a drummer and, like, figure out what's happening. And I played a little piano, like, when I was super young. Like, my parents kind of pushed me to take some lessons and... I don't know, I never really got, I kind of like just got bored with it, like the theory of like just reading music wasn't that interesting and it seemed like I would have to do that if I played the guitar, but drums just kind of made sense and I think I latched on to that. Did your parents hate it when you started actually playing drums in the no, house? No, they were, they were really supportive. Like they, I like, I used to set up, I think I talked about it for a while and then uh, I set up like a bunch of paint cans in the uh, like at different heights uh-huh. in, the, uh, in the garage one time, and I was like playing, and I would hit like play them with wooden spoons, like turned you know holding onto the like, the fat end of the wooden spoon, and then I would just be out there all the time doing it. And I think that was when my parents were like, "Oh, I guess this is a real thing," and. Uh, they kind of let me take snare drum lessons for a while, and then one Christmas they just bought me a kid, and that was definitely like when it all started. It wasn't too long after like I started playing with Duncan and those guys. And that was TFA. Did yeah, y'all, were y'all TFA right off the bat, or was there any? Well, yeah, because they had uh, uh, Mark Jennings. Oh, right. Yeah. But yeah, they played some shows with him. And, I don't know, it wasn't working out, and they asked me, and then, I don't know, I think, yeah, I think I've really been in dance since then. I remember the first time, like, I told my parents I wanted to, like, take my drums to someone else's house to play them. Like, they just didn't understand, like, why (laughs) these really nice things they bought you, like, ever leave where they were set up. And we would, like, wrap them in towels and put, you know, carefully place them in the car. I don't know. Pretty funny. So you did TFA for like was it about like six years or something? Um, it's probably like ninety six to. It wasn't that long. It was like nine. It was till like ninety nine or so. Oh really? And then, but yeah, and then we like started playing with Branch, and that became flashable memories. So that was still me and Duncan and Jay. Mm-hmm. So it, and then that lasted another few years. Probably till like 2002. And then you did X Holiday? Yeah, that was so brief. Gosh, I don't even... That was really fun, uh, but that didn't last very long. I was doing... I was playing drums in Stop It at the same time. That was Adam Duresco, Brendan, Tyler Dunaway. And I remember being on tour with them and getting some messages being like, yeah, X Holiday broke up. <laughs> like, while it was gone, and I was like, okay. Oh, well. Yeah. That, that sucks. That was a. I liked that. I like the. I got the pleasure to record y'all. I definitely, definitely was really digging the songs and the the sound. It was pretty. It was weird. I could I could tell Duncan had had that kind of spot in him for that kind of music for a while, and he had like never right. really tapped into it. And so it was really cool to yeah. like see him, kind of doing that because he'd always have this, kind of classical, more like traditional kind of like musical. Um, guitar arrangement style thing yeah like he could really dig into that kind of thing you know yeah i mean he knows he can play anything 
he's an amazing guitarist. So then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't remember how it was, but I, I came across, um, I guess when you'd started doing pink razors yeah, and I remember hearing about it and I was like, Oh, he's playing drums for them. No, <laughs> no, you're not playing drums for him. You're singing and playing guitar. How did you, yeah. how did you make that change? Had you always been playing around on guitar or what? Um, no, I mean, kind of like I was always around Duncan and then branch and those guys were always playing the guitar. So there was always an extra one and I was just kind of always playing and just writing, you know, the simplest stuff I could come up with. And me and Branch are really into, like, uh, Lookout Records, pop punk bands, and stuff like that at the time. I think something about the accessibility that was exciting, it was, like, once I realized I could write a song pretty simply, and then, like, like I could also, like, make up a little melody. Mm. Like, it just became really infectious and addictive to just write little punk songs, you know, and I'd, whether or not they were any good, but I don't, I don't know, it was just easy to, kind of easier to start cranking them out, and it was really fun to just, like, I, lots of times when I'm in bands and I'm the drummer, I'm just, like, kind of waiting for the songs to get written, and sometimes it doesn't happen as fast as I, I would want, so I think I, like, connected with with that part of it. Yeah, well, I can imagine it. And that's a weird jump. I mean, a lot of people don't make that jump. Yeah, I see it every now and then. Or, you know, you see it. It's more common these days, I think. People it's, are just, like, learning every instrument. Yeah, well, you know, maybe there's something to that and kind of the ability to make your own recordings and put stuff yeah, out. Like, definitely. This concludes part one of our four-part interview with Jeff. All of our episodes are available at variousthings.org. This interview was recorded on April 2nd, 2014. things. This is part two of our four-part interview with Jeff Grant. Enjoy. The last stuff I knew of you doing was, um, you had a thing called the Suns, is that right? Uh, Full Sun, yeah. Full Sun, okay, and then the Sands, I think I'm confusing the two. Um, right. I, I just saw the Sands the other day, and I was listening to that, and I was like, wow, this is really good. And you're on drums, and the are you playing a couple instruments in that? No, Sands, I just, uh, well, I just play guitar and sing, but... Oh, really? That, yeah, that came out of full song, which I do, I started to do everything, mm-hmm. which is the same sort of thing. It was like I was playing in bands and getting things going, and then someone would move or someone would quit, you know, and it was just like constantly getting derailed and... You know, nothing was lasting, like, more than a year. So I kind of... And actually, like, Full Sun was a band that played a few shows around Bloomington mm-hmm. for a while, and someone quit. And I kind of was like, you know, this is just getting going. I still want to record these songs. So I just kind of started making demos and then kind of just producing those demos into fully-fledged thoughts or whatever. 
so essentially the full sun thing started as a band and then you kind of turned it into just like a studio project or are you still were you still yeah, digging with it or? yeah it's uh well it's kind of both it's i mean it's mostly like a recording thing and it's mm-hmm. kind of because i'll start to write a song and then i'll like on the guitar and i'll be thinking like oh this is how the drum part would go and then i just kind of go down in the basement and hear what that sounds like and then eventually just kind of get a good take you know and it, it it's definitely starts as a recording project and then so i put out a couple tapes and i had just moved i should say I, this is all like pretty soon after moving to bloomington so i don't really like know a lot of people and like have these like you know 10 year long connections with people like i do in richmond but so once i put out those tapes i think some people some people liked them and kind of encouraged me to turn it into a band and then that actually i think became the sands because those guys were like let's you know let's be the full fun band or something and i was like no i let's just start a new band which maybe was foolish but maybe not because like within a year that kind of ended as well I don't know oh really it ended already like our guitarist like recently moved out to Raleigh and our bass player is just super committed to other things and it's just kind of a it's kind of we do it when we can like that record we just put it out but we recorded it like almost two years ago oh wow just kind of been sitting on it uh, until we could play some shows. So that's kind of a sporadic thing. And then I actually just, I'm in the middle of recording a full song, full length right now, or I'm done recording, I'm kind of mixing it at this point. So I might be releasing that soon. So working by yourself versus working with other people, how do you, how do you compare those two? Um... It can be, it's, I wonder, it almost, it's probably like the same amount of work. When you're in a band, you spend a lot of time wrangling people together. Mm. You know, like, sometimes it's like, well, we can only practice once every two weeks, you know. Or, you know, once a week practices turn into once a month practices and stuff like that. And I think at a certain point, that just kind of became unacceptable to me. I was just like, I need to spend more time doing this. So, that aspect of it is great, like like being able to just kind of work at my own pace and develop ideas like as quickly as I'm having them almost, you know, and just the downside is you have to like think about every little detail and I'm pretty good at the drums, like I feel confident about what drum takes usually, but everything else is kind of, kind of dif- difficult, like I'm not a seasoned guitar player at all. I don't really know guitar theory or anything like that. So like playing definitely like with the stands if I would show up with with kind of a half finished song, like you could very quickly have cool parts on it, cooler than I could make myself. But yeah. It's just like the downside is it's a struggle and it's like I mean it's great to interact with other people and have other people's style like compliment your song and stuff like that uh it's just hard you know especially as you get older to find people that have the time to do it yeah i mean i, I definitely relate to that that's i started doing that stuff um years ago and just kind of doing my own thing because yeah it's like out of necessity <laughs> yeah you know and but you do live like 
comparatively to working in bands, it seems like you do lose kind of a richness of having that other perspective. But simultaneously, okay. I find my songs go like completely different places. Like they, yeah. like I, if I was in a band, I'd write completely different music. I think, like, yeah. it, like it, and I don't know why that is. <laughs> yeah, you end up because you end up compromising pretty quickly and yeah. letting other people's uh, style kind of be the lead. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's cool. I mean, I love it, you know. Well, it's good to have both. I mean, it sounds like you have a good balance of, of the yeah. two. I mean, yeah, I just kind of let, what it, like, if people are, like, if the Sands guys were all here right now and could do it, I would probably be doing that, you know, full-time or whatever, but it's just reality. It's just not not really the case. So people you, think, sorry, you know, oh, you record your own stuff, like, you're you're probably super controlling about how everything should sound. It's like, no, not at all. <laughs> I do it because no one else is around, really. Yeah, how is, how hard was it for you to pick up, like, technique and, that, like, recording technique and all that? Uh, I don't know how hard it is. I mean, it's, I don't, I think I have a decent ear for, mm. like, how I, like, levels to be in songs and like tones that I like I don't I'm not really a gear guy I'm not really a uh, like that side of recording like I wish I had just sat down with a four track when I was younger and like just figured it out I'd probably be a lot better at it by now but like I was always just going into studios and playing the parts mm-hmm. and not really learning anything so I think from that I have you know I have a, a good sense of what I want but I it's definitely difficult to to get sounds I want sometimes, and I don't know. But sometimes it's easier to like sit and mess with something and get exactly what you want than it is to like explain it to an engineer. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So it's like I don't know, give and take. That's the lost in translation kind of thing. You get these guys that don't, especially if they're not musicians themselves, or or maybe even the same genre. Or yeah. can understand your genre, like they might just. Yeah, they just have different tastes, maybe. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very subjective thing, but I think I think ultimately, like having been on that side of it, like been a recording engineer and then like done this stuff myself right. um, for so long, I think ultimately, like the it's a net positive that people can make records at home. You know, like I'd gladly yeah. trade the recording industry for people making records at home. You know, yeah. like if you had to pick a side, because it's just people, people are, you can come up with so much more creative stuff, you know? I mean, just the fact yeah. that you could record it, like, you know, when the uh, inspiration strikes, that's a huge benefit, you know? I mean, yeah. half my friends, or half my favorite records, like Crimshrine, stuff like that, they're horrible recordings. It's great songs, you know? <laughs> I mean, they're horrible. I think Cryptrine is probably the worst recording maybe ever made. I mean, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. But it is a testament to the power of a good mix, because they had a good mix, though it wasn't done well, but it like everything was like mixed together in its crappiest crappiness, you know, <laughs> like, but it yeah. like fits together. But it, um, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a testament to the power of songs and performance. Yeah, it's And that concludes part two of our four-part interview with Jeff. All of our episodes are available at variousthings.org. This interview is recorded on April 2nd, 2014.
Welcome back to Various Things and part three of our four-part interview with Jeff Grant. Enjoy. You had mentioned that you had put some cassette tapes out, and I've noticed like a lot of folks um, in like the uh, kind of like I know like Planet X had started doing that a little bit, and um, and some of the like kind of like uh, smaller indie punk had gone back to putting stuff on cassettes. What um, what was your thought in doing that? Uh, my thought honestly was just like a kind of another necessity thing. It's like the, the you can't really argue with the cost. Like if yeah. you just want a physical product out, and you and like like most record plants won't run more than like five hundred. Uh, some won't do you know less than a thousand, and it's really not any more cost effective to do. You know, if you're going to do, like, 200 LPs, like, you might as well do 500. But if you can't sell those, then, you're, you know, you're sitting on them for the rest of your life. Uh, so with tape, I don't know. With the, I think I started I started doing the full phone stuff as tape because I was like, you know, this thing isn't really going to tour for, if it does, it's not going to tour for a few years. Like, I'm not going to be able to sell records. Uh, it's kind of like a lo-fi sounding thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it seemed like seem to make sense on cassette format to me, you know, like just get this thing out there to like people who would want to hear it. And um, why not, why not CD? Um, I don't know. Other than like at some point I just kind of stopped. Well, they don't sell really well. Like that's one thing. Like I know from doing a record label that these days like CDs, like no one is buying CDs. I don't know why. I mean, no one's buying records that much, but uh, CDs are definitely harder to sell because people don't. I, you know, I guess it comes down to a collector thing, and that's probably why tapes kind of had a little resurgence because it's a little bit of a novelty. It's a little more personal, I think. Yeah. Like, there's something about it. It's weird. But the CD is like a trip to a doctor's office, you know, or, or not even a doctor's office. It's like a dentist office, you know. It's like yeah. it's sterile and really mass manufactured and there's no guarantee that the artist's hands have ever been on it. I mean, most, you know, if they're shrink wrap, they've, no one's ever touched it except for a computer that makes it. Right. Yeah. I think maybe tapes are lost on some people that are younger than you and I, but you know, we have, you know, there's a lot of uh, nostalgia attached to like having oh, yeah. tape your car stereo for, you know, <laughs> a long time or yeah. put a, put no tape in your pocket or in your game or in your Walkman. It's weird. I'd love tape certain records on tape better yeah. because of the, like, I remember this one swing and editors record. I can't remember which one it was, but Matt, uh, Matt Dennis had a copy of it on tape. And for some reason, just the way that the bias was set on it, um, it accentuated the high end level in such a way that it really actually sounded better to listen to it off the tape than yeah. it did to listen off the CD. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it was, I thought it was, so, yeah, there's certain th- records that I was like, yeah, I got to have this on tape, you know, because <laughs> you'd listen to the CD and you're like, eh. Yeah, definitely. And it kind of gets into what we were saying about, you know, if you can get the music across, you know, and get everything kind of sitting in the right place, it doesn't really matter too much. <laughs> yeah, like, definitely not. You can argue about, you can argue about sound quality, like, to no end, you know. You mentioned that you were running the record label. Uh, would you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, uh, yeah, sure. So you basically, uh, started your own label 
Did you put a Pink Razors CD out on that? Was that the first uh, thing? Yeah, well, no, no, we did an LP. Um, that was like right around the time we were moving. Uh, by we, I mean my, I mean Aaron, who is now my wife. Uh, we were moving from Richmond to here in Bloomington, Indiana, and kind of like right at, at that time, Pink Razors recorded what is now our last album. Uh, we wanted someone to put it out. There's just wasn't really anyone to do it, like no one that would make sense, and we kind of didn't know if we were going to be playing shows, so it's kind of it's a tough sell for yeah. to be able to be like, yeah, we're not going to be playing shows, but I just wanted it out. Uh, kind of around that time, I started realizing that I wasn't ever really going to stop playing music and that I should probably just start releasing it, you know? Hmm. Not even to, like, quickly build a business, but just to, like... Just to have something, because then, you know, I was like, this is theoretically just going to keep happening. Like, I'm just going to have records and no one to put them out. So if I start now, you know, maybe in 10 years, like, it'll start sustaining itself or something. Yeah, we put out that LP, uh, printed too many copies of them. I don't know, it just kind of evolved from there, I guess, pretty naturally. Like, there was once I moved here, I met these guys in a band called landlord and likes their stuff and wanted to put that out it was the same thing for them it was like who's really going to put this out i kind of just kind of settled into that like like this label exists to put out our own stuff like me and aaron's music she makes a lot of music too mm. or you know other people like our friends that are in similar situations i just had seen those situations so many times it was like you know this is going to keep happening let's just start a label pretty much see what see where it goes from what I've seen, most of your releases seem to be seven inches. Would that be correct? Um, I would say they're mostly LPs. Oh, okay. Uh, I kind of gravitate towards that. I think it just seems like more worthwhile. You know, like CDs, I think seven inches are harder to sell when they they cost. I mean, I like seven inches, but yeah, the cost is just, pretty. What is it like six hundred, seven hundred dollars to basically put out a seven inch minus the cover? Yeah, yeah, it's it's not. It's not very cost-effective. It works if the band is out touring a lot. You know, I think people at shows by seven inches. But the seven inches we've done have just kind of sat because the bands weren't super active. No one, like, really... And especially, like, with mail order, too. It's like you tack on another three bucks, you know. You can oh, yeah. order a two-song seven-inch, and, you know, $12 later, it's at your door. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's Everything's been raising in price. It's amazing because... I was looking at doing some LP releases earlier because my label, it's just it's just all digital. It's just get it out there into the ether. Um, yeah. But it's, uh, I'd looked at, I'd love to do an LP. Every time I look at it, I'm just like, and that's the cost before covers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then yeah. I'm like, and I got to mail them. And the post office keeps getting more expensive. And you're just like, I mean, do you all ship via media mail at all or? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, I mean, the label's kind of like some years, it's like, oh, we're going to do a lot. And then some years, it's like, I don't know if the label's going to do anything this year. So we just kind of take it as it comes. And we've put out, with other bands we worked with, we try to be really upfront about it. Like, basically at this point, we're a label that will help you get your thing out mm-hmm. if you just want it out. And it'll look good, you know, like Aaron is super good at graphic design and that's important to us, you know, the, the quality. I think it's, it's that's what it's more about, it's just like, 
making something exist and like documenting it and making something that will just get deleted from a website someday, you know? Yeah. Something that something that when future generations are like, oh, what does that music all about, you know? Here, here's a record, you know? And that concludes part three of our four-part interview with Jeff. All of our episodes are available at variousthings.org. This interview was recorded on April 2nd, 2014. This is part four of our four-part interview with Jeff Grant. Enjoy. So you guys, um, you and Aaron, y'all moved to Bloomington. What what year was that? Uh, it would have been six years ago. And so that's interesting because Bloomington, isn't that where Planet X is from? It is, yeah. He's still Chris still lives here. It, it's it's odd because there's I've always heard a lot of stuff about that place, and it always seemed kind of like a sister community to Richmond in some kind of way. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Like maybe that, and maybe like Gainesville, like right? Gainesville. I think those, yeah, Athens, Georgia. You know, college towns. It's funny because I go back to Richmond now and it feels huge to me. Like oh, really? Feels, yeah. I mean, it's just, it used to feel like such a small town, and it is, uh, but Bloomington's like so much smaller. <laughs> and I've gotten really used to it, like just being able to walk everywhere and seeing the same people everywhere. I'd like to try that sometime because the only time I moved away, I moved to Baltimore and I came back and I was like, wow, Richmond's so small. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's great. It's got you know its ups and downs. Uh, I'm, the longer I'm here, kind of the more I like it. Uh, I think. How would you compare it? Definitely way more isolated. Like there's no like Interstate 95 running through the middle of town. It's you know there's no interstate. It's really just like I think almost like 60 percent of the population is is Indiana U- University related. Like, okay. It clears out like during the breaks during the summer, and it's really nice. But at the same time, like the college is fairly progressive, and it brings a lot of culture to the town. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to take advantage of all that culture. Like, I mean, you can live in a big city where stuff is going on, but it's not always easy to navigate. Uh, yeah. But right here, it's like everything's everything good that's here is just like at your fingertips, you know. Uh, so that's really nice. Yeah, I don't know. I definitely feel a sense of community and, like, sense of, uh, like, actually, like, seeing like seeing the local economy, like, prosper and stuff like that. It's just kind of, I don't know. The, uh, Bloomington's kind of a progressive jewel in the middle of Indiana, really. The rest of the state is, you know, more conservative. Sounds kind of like Austin. And yeah. Yeah. But I was just in Austin, and Austin is huge compared to Bloomington. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, in terms of like being an island of progressive values, because in Richmond, you know, it, it 
it's like we have that that culture um but everything i've like come across of in of uh bloomington it, it seems like it, it's a little more the, like like the art community and the music community is a little more dominant than it is in richmond because in richmond it's like we have we have these like multi-level tiered things that we have to fight against all the time right. um whether it's like city hall wanting to do some really stupid shit with something or um you know the frat bottom crowd trying to do stupid shit with something or venture richmond trying to turn everything into loss like like there's a lot of like layers of not (laughs) not interesting art culture on that and and it's something that the art culture here has had to fight with do y'all have like a fight like that out there or um not as much well, I will say in Richmond, it, that's gotten better, right? I mean, a little bit. Now, the city's more accepting I, to a certain extent, yeah. but I mean, they have like yeah. that art. They have that murals everywhere and stuff. But yeah, it's, I just saw that. Yeah, but it's uh, still like city. I don't know. It doesn't feel organic. It, it feels really. I don't know. You have to be approved by. The, yeah, and everyone's afraid of getting the city on their ass. I mean, that's my memories of like. <laughs> yeah. In the 90s and stuff, uh, 2000s, yeah. It's definitely different here. Like, the government, the local government here is, like, exclusively, Democrat. you know, Democrat. Um, like, one example, like, they were, I was talking about not having an interstate, but they, they actually are trying to, like, kind of route Interstate 69 through town, and they've been doing it. They've been, you know, trying to do this for years, longer than I've been here. Mm-hmm. It's been an issue, Uh you know, people don't want the uh, commercialism that that follows. Right. Uh, I want to like, keep the like small town charm here, and like the city of Bloomington has definitely just been like stalling it for years, and just like fighting the rest of the state. You know, and we'll probably lose. You know, I think it's probably you know it's going to happen eventually. But I do get the sense here that like local government is kind of on your side. I mean, they still make dumb decisions sometimes, and, you know, it's not like an hippy-dippy wonderland, but it's, I don't know. I definitely feel like if you have a good idea for the city, you can kind of bring it to the city and get help, you know. That's really cool. With a lot of resistance. Yeah, that's the sense that I have. Like, there's like a rail trail project that, was completed a few years ago here that's been really, really good. I mean, they spent a lot of money on it, but it's, it's really nice. <laughs> I don't know. Just, like, progressive things happen here more so than frustrating things. That's cool. So outside of music, man, um, like, uh, what, do, what, do you, what are you up to these days in terms of do you take advantage of that space out there in Bloomington? Like, what do you what do you do with your free time and that kind of thing? Uh, free time, ride my bike a lot. I started working at, uh, Aaron's brother, Matt, he and his girlfriend opened a bakery last, uh, August, Mm -hmm. and I work there, just work up from there. Uh, it's like, they're vegan, it's a vegan bakery that makes really kind of nice cupcakes and donuts and cakes and stuff like that. It's kind of like a little coffee shop, like people come in and do work in there and stuff. Uh, so that's been a new development. I don't know. I mean, yeah, honestly, free most so much free time goes to music. <laughs> Me and Aaron have been, 
me and Aaron have been working on our house. Uh, we bought a house here last June, and de- definitely like cosmetically a fixer upper. So we're we've come a long way with that, but we're still working on that, and it's just now getting warm again. So we'll get into the swing of that again. Get a garden going in the backyard. Well, that's cool. So so you own the house, so you've been able to like pretty much just have free run of it in terms of putting the studio in and all that stuff? Uh, yeah, I haven't done any major repairs or, you know, renovations. Right. Yet, but we have a basement, you know, that mostly stays dry. Mostly. <laughs> set up down there. Uh, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't have, like, a, some recording gig right now. Have you ever thought about trying that? Yeah, I definitely thought about it. I don't really know. Yeah, I think it'll happen here someday, you know, once we get every, everything else in order. Uh, yeah, so kind of learning. I'm, I come at recording from a pretty inexperienced angle, you know. Right. Kind of like, don't usually put more than one or two mics on things and stuff like that. Don't own a lot of stuff. So that would be a big project, but I do think about it. So going forward, uh, what's the uh, what's the look at for you? What are you hoping with the music you said you got a um you got a full length for full time you're working on right now yeah i uh yeah that's getting mixed 